All right, guys, well, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. Is everybody excited to be here today? Awesome. Well, hey, listen, you guys have uh, picked the 11-15 time slot. Congratulations. I love it. Uh, you guys are worshiping in one of our three locations right now, so I want to welcome the venue as well as North Platte. So today was our very first day having synchronized worship uh, that's linked up together at 9.45 and 11.15. It's an exciting day. Thank you so much for being a church that is uh, inviting others, and we're seeing people give their life to Jesus. I can't wait for that book to roll out next week so that you can hear more stories about how God's transforming lives. It's an exciting day here at New Life. Well, we're getting ready to start a brand new teaching series. Uh, the brand new teaching series is entitled Live Dead. <laughs> So I, I know those two words don't seem like they go together very well. So let me just help you understand like where we're going with this thing and you'll get more along the weeks. This teaching series though is really based off of the principle that we have missionaries around the world that are in what's called a live dead movement. These missionaries have chosen to move to hostile countries, countries where Christianity is being persecuted, where people are even being put to death, where they're running the risk of being jailed or deported, um, maybe even their own life at risk, but they've heard God's voice and they've followed God's call and they've moved to these places, all with the effort of planting the church of Jesus Christ there and also raising up people to you know, lead and see the health of the church go forward. It's an exciting day. Um, and these, this is happening all over the world. It's such an amazing moment in which we live. These guys live by 12 core values, and we're going to be breaking down those 12 core values throughout this next teaching series to help us live as missionaries right here in Nebraska. See, that's what God's called us to. God didn't call us, you know, to the country of Saudi Arabia. He called us to live in Nebraska, and living in Nebraska means he wants us to live as a missionary, being, being, uh, you know, living with the understanding that, you know, I can't just keep Jesus to myself. I, I have to be sharing Jesus with others. So this Live Dead series is really all about the timeless missions of Christians that have been striving throughout the generations to live crucified with Christ, a crucified life with Christ. Paul, he's the one who really kind of framed that word for us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, obviously, he's not physically died He's writing this. So there's something spiritual that's taking place here. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is going to be um, really the backbone of why we're even doing this Live Dead teaching series. See, Live Dead, Live Dead is not just a good name. It's a journey. It's not a destination. This is a journey that I'm trying to set you up for so that you can live your life saying the same thing that Paul said. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I want Christ to live in me and through me. I want Jesus to get the glory. So live dead. It's not about being a spiritual hero where you end up living your life and giving your life as a martyr, although I honor those who have lived and had to you know, endure those circumstances. But live dead, the teaching series, is not setting you up so you can be some kind of superstar spiritual hero. It's setting you up so you can live a surrendered life to God. Live dead, it's going, it pushes against our American comfort and our independent pursuit, and it's going to require each of us to wrestle with Am I fully surrendered to Christ? I can guarantee one thing for you. 
If you'll take little nuggets of truth out of every single one of these sermons along this series timeline, which is going to end right before Christmas, if you'll take one little truth and apply it to your life, I can guarantee you one thing. Your life will not be the same come Christmas. Your life will look more like Jesus, sound more like Jesus, behave more like Jesus. The best Christmas gift I can give this church is to take you through this teaching series and to leave you at Christmas with the best gift in your heart that I could ever give you. And that is a life that's abandoned to Christ. A life that literally has learned what it means to live dead to this world and to live alive with Christ. I want to do that in your hearts. I want, I want to see Jesus do some amazing things in your life. So today we're going to start with our core value number one. Core value number one is the value of abide. Abiding with Christ. Now, I'm going to pick up where I left off on the video that opened up this sermon today. Jesus is the best model of understanding what the word abide really means. Let me give you some examples from his life. Jesus, if you want to understand what the word abide means, look at the life of Jesus. Here's some of the things he did. He lived his life without fading. Without fading. He lived his life with the same passion for God when he was succeeding to the same passion for God when he was going to the cross, which is still succeeding. He never faded. Jesus, if you want to know some other definitions of what it means to abide with God, he, he never got distracted. He, he stayed with an extravagant pursuit of God all the days of his life. He never got distracted when fame came and when people were chanting his name and when they were waving palm branches in front of him when he marched into Jerusalem. He never got distracted. He never lost his focus. He stayed completely focused on his father and extravagantly pursued him with everything inside of him. What did Jesus use as tools to walk out this lifestyle of abiding with God? He spent time in prayer daily. And not just one time of prayer. He lived a lifestyle of prayer where he was constantly in communication with his father. The other thing that Jesus did was he had God's word in his heart. Many times he went to preach. He didn't need a scroll to preach. He just preached from the word that was already embedded in his heart from all of his study. That's part of abiding. And then his ministry with the work of his hands and where his feet took him. He never complained about being a servant of God. He always was willing to give more of himself. He was always willing to you know, sacrifice his needs for the needs of others. That's all part of, what it under, of, what, of an understanding of what it means to abide. But lastly, you need to understand that Jesus knew that his true power came from abiding in the Father. That's why Jesus says this about himself in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then he says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine, but the Father, he recognized, abiding with God was so important because the Father was the gardener. And the gardener was making the vine strong and productive. The Father was the one making Jesus strong and productive so that what could happen? So that branches could be added to the vine. That's where you and me come in to the equation. So now let's look at our part our role as we continue to unpack and understand what does it really mean to in a biblical sense abide with god and to help you better understand that i want to tell you a story a story about three branches you guys ready ready for story time okay don't fall asleep during story time all right seriously stay focused stay engaged all right 
The, the, the story of the three branches continues with Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15. When he went on in verse 2 and he said this, these very words. Every branch, and read these two words with me, in me. So Jesus is saying, every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he, being God, the Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. So we got two branches, all right? Branch number one isn't currently bearing fruit, but still yet connected to Christ. Branch number two is bearing fruit. So to help you understand, let's just talk very in a practical sense about a vineyard. What if you were the one that had to care for a vineyard? What would it look like? How would it feel? So you got vines, grape vines that are growing up out of the ground. Grape vines are, you know, looking for a place to attach themselves, right? Now, I'm not the best gardener, so if I'm wrong, correct me later in the lobby, all right? Because uh, I, would, I would love your understanding. But the vine, it, it comes up, it, it doesn't have anything to attach to. The vine's going to stay low. So what does a good gardener do? A good gardener's going to take that vine, make sure there's some kind of a trellis of some, some sort, you know, or if in nature it's growing, it might grow and attach to a tree and grow up or attach to a fence and grow up. But a, a good gardener's going to find something for that vine to attach to so they can grow up. Why? So that the, the vine and the branches with it now, the branches that are going to produce the fruit, they get up off the ground. Because if those branches continue to lay in the dirt, then there's dirt on the leaves, dirt on the branches. It, it doesn't produce the fruit. You don't see the grapes come. It rains. It gets muddy. And now those branches are laying down in the mud and in the water. And if they stay in a situation like that, they can get uh, mildew. They can get moldy. They're, they're going to get sick. They could eventually die. They'll never produce fruit in that situation. So here comes the gardener. The gardener comes along. He's already got the vine attached to the trellis, and he's got branches that are growing off. Some have attached themselves, and they're producing fruit. Other branches have grown out, and they've grown down. They've never found a place to attach, and they are now laying on the ground. So what would a good vine dresser or a good gardener do in a situation like that? If the vine is alive, he picks it up off the ground, cleans it off, reattaches it now to the trellis so that that branch might also produce good fruit. And then he looks and he sees another branch and it has a big bunch of grapes on it. And he's like, wow, now that's healthy. How can I make it more healthy? Well, the branch continues on for, you know, another five, six, seven feet. So he comes in and he'll, he'll prune that branch maybe a foot or two feet beyond the bunch of grapes so that the resources of the plant will be redirected back to the grape bunch. And in turn, he'll end up with a greater harvest by lifting up the branches that are on the ground and reattaching them and pruning the branches that are now showing the fact that they're going to produce good fruit. And this same principle holds true in our lives. If we abide in Jesus, we begin to produce fruit. So here's the, here's the point you got to know today. Fruit, and we're going to define what it is in a moment, fruit is the evidence of abiding with Christ. So what is the fruit that the Bible's talking about? Well, the fruit that the Bible's talking about, thankfully, is not a bunch of grapes that grow on Christians. That would be weird. What is the fruit? The fruit is a harvest of souls, literally. What does, what does the word translate to? The word is pointing to a harvest. A harvest of what? Just a harvest of grapes? No. A harvest of souls being won into the kingdom. 
So when we are attached or abiding in Christ, the natural outflow should be that we are seeing people one into the kingdom of God and being led to Jesus because of us and because of what God's doing in us. So a great question just to kind of echo in your heart today right now is this. Are people finding Jesus because of you? So the first two branches, they were in Jesus, right? They were in Jesus. And I want to I look at them maybe in a little, little deeper sense. So I'm going to throw that scripture, John, John 15, back up there just to let it sit there for a moment so that you can kind of look at it. But I want to talk about that, that branch number one just a little bit more. Branch number one is a person. It's a person Jesus is talking about. And this person currently isn't producing any fruit. That's, that's branch number one. They're currently not producing any fruit. That means no one is finding Jesus because of them. But I want you to understand then, what would the Father's heart, what is God's heart towards that person? Remember in verse 2 it said that he would, he would take them away. What does it literally mean then to take them away? I went and I looked all this up in the original language. In the Greek language, which the, this portion of the Bible was written in, to take away, listen to this, it literally means to lift up. Now some of your Bibles are going to say the word cut off. But when you go to the original language, it literally means to lift up. It's very encouraging. It's a very encouraging process that God, he would come to you and he would say, you are connected to me, but you're not producing any fruit. I'm not going to just cut you off. I want to lift you up and I want to reconnect you so that you have the greatest potential to abide in Christ because if I give you the greatest potential to abide in Christ, then your life may produce fruit, which is what God's mission is. What's this really called? Grace. You're watching the definition of grace at work in this very passage where Jesus is saying, my Father will lift you up And he wants to clean the dirt off of your life, the sin of this world that's keeping us from abiding with Christ, which is exactly what keeps us from abiding with Christ, is the sin of this world, getting our leaves dirty, getting our branch dirty so we cannot produce any good fruit. And he wants to clean us off, and he wants to rehang us on the trellis so that our life might produce fruit. God wants you If you're in a stage right now where you have faith in Christ, but your life isn't producing a harvest of souls for him, you need to know something. God wants you to to see souls won through your life. God doesn't rejoice when people go to hell. God rejoices when people give their life to him. So if you're here today, you know that's my life, Pastor Jeff. I'm, I'm branch number one. I want to encourage you today. Jesus is here to lift you back up. That's an encouraging word. Branch number two, though, produces a harvest of souls already. So what does he do with a person who's already winning people into the kingdom, living a life that's modeling Jesus, that is literally attracting people more towards the cross of Christ? What does he do? He does what every every good farmer would do. He starts to prune your life so that you're even more productive. So he starts plucking away the leaves so that the sun can get to the fruit better, right? He starts trimming the branch back so that it can actually even create a greater harvest. So pruning from God, man, that sometimes th- that can feel like a test. 
it can feel like something that's not super comfortable. It can actually be very challenging. But know this, it's God's heart for you. Why does God prune? God's pruning us so that he can cause us to be more effective for his kingdom. Pruning is the discipline of God that's forming us into a life-producing branch. And that's why Hebrews says these words in chapter 12. For the Lord disciplines those that he what? What does it say? The Lord disciplines those that he loves. If you feel like there's some pruning going on, if you feel like there's some discipline that's happening, know this, God loves you. And he sees great things in you. And he wants to see greater things through you. So if you want to be someone who lives dead on this earth and alive for Christ, then you have to have a heart that passionately seeks to abide with God. But you also have to have a heart that welcomes the pruning. And you have to have a heart that deeply trusts God's purpose and God's plan. So if you are that second branch, thank you so much. Thank you so much for living a life that is leading people and drawing people to Christ. And if you are, know this, God wants to even use your life more. But there's a third branch. The third branch doesn't abide in Jesus. Jesus, as he continued to teach in John chapter 15, he went to verse 6, and and this is what he says. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If we choose to not abide in Jesus, church, the cost is devastating. We're thrown into the fire and we're burned. What, what, right now, immediately? No, Jesus is talking about the future. He's talking about when you die. He's talking about when the judgment of man happens. And if if we've chosen to live independent and rebellious and doing life the way we want to and not abiding in Christ, not connecting ourselves to God, not recognizing that God, my source and my strength, they come from you. When we choose to live that way, there is a day that's coming. And Jesus is talking about eternal separation from him in hell. So going back to how would a gardener take care of a vineyard? If if the gardener comes by and he's looking at his grapes and he sees this old, dried out, dead branch, he's not going to leave it there. He's going to cut it off. And he's going to take that with the dead branches he finds that lay on the ground. He's going to go put them in a pile. And when the pile gets large enough at the right moment, when the wind's just right and the weather's just right, he lights it and he burns it up. But here's what you need to know today. You have a choice of whether you're going to be the third branch or not. You choose whether you're going to abide in Christ or not. What does that mean then? That literally means you choose whether you go to the burn pile or you stay connected to Christ. God's not sending people to the burn pile. In fact, God wants just the opposite. God's heart is one where he's going, what can I do to extend grace to help you be connected to me so that your life can serve such a wonderful purpose? God gets no joy. He gets no joy from people rejecting him and turning their back on him. God wants all humanity to choose him, to serve him, and to love him. That's the heart of God. So today, the secret to this life is learning to abide in Jesus. It's the secret to this life. That's why Jesus said these words in this continued sermon in verse 4 when he goes, Guys, look, abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you 
unless you abide in me. Becoming passionate for Jesus isn't something you can just stir up on the inside of you. It's not something you can just, you can manipulate. Um, You know, God's designed you and me uniquely that we need the vine. We need Jesus. He designed us uniquely that if we want to be passionate, we want to abide in Christ, then our role is to surrender and say, God, my life's not my own. I'm going to be connected to you. But Jesus actually gives us two secrets of how we abide in him, of how we abide, just in natural, how we abide. He said these words, and as he continued this in you know, John 15, verse 7, he goes, if you abide in me, well, we've been talking about that one, right? And I'm going to mention it one more time. But if you abide in me, there's number one, and my word abides in you, that's number two. You can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus says there's a secret to abiding. First, it has to be abiding in Jesus. Now, you might go, well, duh, that's what you've been talking about the whole time. I know I got it. So can I just summarize what that means very simply in one clear statement? What does it mean to abide in Jesus based on everything we've been talking about? It means to remain consistent in a passionate pursuit of the presence of Jesus in your every waking moment. That's what it means. Does it mean to abide in Jesus? I'll say it again. To remain consistent in a passionate pursuit of the presence of Jesus in your ever-waking moment. You might say right now, well, I'm not there. I got it. That's why we're talking about it. Right? But you can get there. You can literally get to the point where when you wake up in the morning, some of your first thoughts are not the big agenda you have to do today, but but praising God. You can literally get to a point in your relationship with God where you find yourself seeking his wisdom and seeking his advice and praising him throughout the day in random moments where it's not some you know routine that you've got to muster up like oh oh man it's the right time i guess i better hey jesus i love you okay now i'm gonna get back to what i'm gonna do it's not that it's natural it just flows from the inside of you that's what it does when you're abiding when the branch is abiding in the vine the branch doesn't go there's a girl there's a grape all right. Woo! That took so much work. You th- yeah. I won't go with that example any farther than that. The branch just naturally does it when it's attached correctly and when it's pulling its resource from the vine. That's what can happen in our lives. Abiding in Jesus should become something that's natural. But the second secret that Jesus gave us was this. He says, listen, if you're going to abide, then you're going to need to have God's word abiding in you. God's word abiding in you. Getting God's word beyond your brain and into your heart where God's word right, can actually change you from the inside out. Both of these things that Jesus mentioned here are way beyond head knowledge. They're about surrendering of the heart so let me let me recommend one helpful approach in increasing a heart that abides in jesus let me just give you one practical thing that you can do in your personal prayer life let me give you a formula basically for prayer that will help to increase an attitude of abiding in god you use it how you want to it's called pray acts it's an acronym first it starts with adoration what does that mean simply give god praise spend some time in worship For some of you, you know, take your phone, stick some headphones in, 
listen to some worship music for a while. Take some time just to be in his presence and worship him. Proclaim how amazing God is. Just lift his name up for a while. You'll find that to be very refreshing. Hard at the beginning, but very refreshing as you start to discipline yourself with that. But the second act then of your prayer should be confession. Confession is then very simply you saying, God, this is where I've blown it. This is where I broke your law. God, I'm confessing that. But also, look at this. This is a beautiful part of confession. Confessing who the Bible says God is. See, as you start to read God's word, I would highly recommend that you underline, mark in your Bible, do something that signifies verses that talk about who God is. Such as, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. I would take a moment to confess that. Jesus, there is no other way. No other way to please God except through you. It's just confessing who he is. Thirdly, though, you go to the T, that's giving thanksgiving. God, I thank you for the blessings you've given me, for how you protect me, how you provide for me. God, how you're, how you're working on my behalf, even when I don't feel like you are. Right? It's thanking God even when things aren't going exactly the way you want them to be. But then lastly, S stands for supplication. It means now is the time when you can ask God. God, I have a need here. I have a need there. God, would you help me with wisdom on making this decision, helping to provide for us, God, as we go through this difficult financial moment or whatever. But see, what we do is we like to start down here. And then many times we never get to those three. My recommendation for you, if you want to have a heart that abides with God, start with adoration, end with supplication. Start by praising him, end by asking him. Okay, so that's one great thing you can do. But let's focus on the other secret that, that Jesus gave us. And, and so let me, let me recommend one helpful approach to increasing a heart uh, that has God's word abiding in it. First and foremost, I would recommend this. Read God's word in bite-sized chunks, bite-sized portions. Right? Don't read God's word just for how much you can read. Read in smaller portions. If, it, if our life physically is more healthy when we eat smaller meals more consistently, then reading God's word in smaller portions more consistently might also help you grow. And here's, here's part of the reason for that. I wanted to help you understand one of the ways that I read God's word because this is the, this is the attitude in which I read God's word with on every, everyday basis. But I, I realized that what I do is I take a moment and I really meditate. I think about something. And so I just coined a phrase this week and I just coined it as a ponder moment. Okay? No, it's not great words. Got it. Don't email me and tell me I, there was better language you could have used. Um, I, get, I give it my best. All right. The ponder moment. Here's how I start with scripture. I'm reading until I get to a moment when I want to ponder the meaning of a scripture. It could be three scriptures in. It could be a chapter and a half in, but I'm reading until all of a sudden, bam, something pops and I go, wow, what's the real meaning of that? And I start looking at it. I would encourage you to use tools like, you know, BibleGateway.com or um, go use YouVersion, you know, Bible.com. Uh, it will take you to our YouVersion app. There's a lot of tools that are out there where you can actually look at what the real meaning is. It's how I found the real meaning of he will lift you up versus he's going to cut you off and throw you away. He'll lift you up. That's where I found those things. So um, in my own Bible tools, but in the meaning of it. But here's the next phase. What do you do after that? Then ponder how it applies. Ponder now how this scripture applies to your life right now. 
Because it's one thing to understand what it says, it's another thing to apply it. Applying it is where the abiding comes. Then thirdly, ponder how it will change you. Ponder how it's going to change you, not just apply to my life today, but ponder how, if I live this out, how will it change my life? Lastly, in this whole ponder moment, ponder, ponder the passage for keeping. If something was meaningful enough that God stopped you in your tracks to say, look at the meaning of that scripture, and then it caused you to look at how you can apply it to your life, and then it caused you to think about how you can now use this verse to change your life, that's a, that's a verse worth keeping, meaning that's a verse worth committing to memory. And the more that we commit God's word to memory, memory the more we're getting God's word in us, the more we are abiding in Christ. See? See how that works? So these two simple things can help you abide in Jesus. As we wrap up today's message, I want to tell you a story about a man who was born early 1800s. His name is George Mueller. He was born in Germany, and as he grew up, he had a passion for God. He had such a passion for God that he, he actually wanted to become a missionary. And so he decided he was going to be a missionary to the Jews in England. So he moves from Germany to London, and he starts becoming a missionary to the Jewish people. After a while, he starts realizing, I, I don't want to just temporarily live here and minister to people that might just be passing through. I want to become a pastor where I'm setting down some roots and I'm able to build a church. And so he goes, he moves to Bristol, England. And when he, when he moves there, he starts ministering in this church and this pastorate. But he also recognizes that there's a lot of homeless children that are running around. There's a lot of orphans that are running around. There's a lot of kids that have no connection, no belonging, no one to call them father, you know, no one to call them, uh, you know, no one to be called mother. Um, they're being used and abused. In fact, the industry at that time, there was no laws to protect the children. And so the kids, they were working, you know, as slave laborers in factories and doing all kinds of things and living on the streets, poor and hungry. And George Mueller looked at them and he goes, these kids need to be loved. These kids need to be cherished. These kids need to know that they have a purpose and they have a plan. These kids need to hear the good news of Jesus. So in 1835, he started a ministry. He launched a ministry on Ashley Downs where he built the homes that would house 2,000 orphans at one time. And he started seeing hundreds of orphans come in until the houses were full. It's estimated over the lifespan of George Mueller's life that he actually ministered to over 10,000 orphans in those homes that he built. Here's what's known about George Mueller. It took $7 million to run that ministry. And never once was George Mueller ever found asking for a dollar from anyone. It's also said that when he died, all of his belongings were gathered and sold, and his personal belongings added up to $400. George Mueller was a man of devotion to God. George Mueller was known as a man of prayer. He was known as a man of extreme faith. He, he was known as a man who abides in Christ. So a group of seminary students were brought to him one day and he was instructing them and he was teaching them and one of the, one of the very eager students who's actively wanting to pursue full-time ministry raises his hand and George Mueller calls on him and the young man says, Mr. Mueller, please tell me, what is your secret? What is the secret of your success? Now the old man, George Mueller, gets off of his stool 
begins to slowly lower his older body to the ground. And he kneels down in this position. And he says to the young students who want to go into ministry, this is the secret. This is the secret. It's not my personality. It's not what my hands can do. This is the secret. George Mueller was also quoted saying this, that there was a day when I died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world and its approval. Died to the approval or the blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. George Mueller was a true man who lived, what it, lived the meaning of a lived dead man. He knew the true power of abiding in Jesus and his word. George Mueller was the kind of man who embraced the pruning of God, the difficulties of God as they would come his way. George Mueller was a man who literally came to the conclusion, I'm not living to please anyone on this earth. I'm living to minister to them and love them, but I'm living to please my Father and Him only. So today, right before our worship team comes, I want to remind you that in all of our auditoriums we have altars. Right? Therefore, people, people that are hungry for God and want to see Him do something in their life. So you, you may not be called to minister to 10,000 orphans today, but God has called you to abide in Him. And if you abide in Jesus today, God can change your life just like George Mueller's, and he can use your life to affect the ones he wants to. So I've got three statements to make the three different branches. If you're the third branch who's not abiding in Christ, cry out to Jesus, you dried up and you dead branches. Jesus will hear you today. If you're the first branch, who's in Christ, but you're not producing a harvest of souls being won into the kingdom, I have something to say to you today. Take advantage of God's grace this morning, you non-producing Christians, and let God lift you up and encourage you and build you up so that you can go out and you can win a harvest of souls back into the kingdom. And I say to you, branch two, who is connected to Christ and producing fruit Welcome with joy the pruning of God this morning. He uses it to shape you so that you can be more effective and more productive at winning souls into the kingdom. Which branch are you? What response do you need to make to Christ this morning? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, you spoke a word to our hearts from John 15 that rattles us, it can shake us, it can stir us. Lord, we don't want to just feel emotional change, we want heart change. Lord, we don't want to just have head knowledge, we want to have heart knowledge. We want our lives to look more like you, Lord, come Christmas, than they do now. We want to love people more like you love them come Christmas than we do now. We want to, we want to see our lives Reach other friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors in our community for the cause of Jesus Christ more than we're doing now. We're hungry for you. We're thirsty for you, God. And in all of our auditoriums today in North Platte and down in the venue and in the main auditorium, there are people that are, they're, they're a dried up branch that's crying out to you. 
Bring life to me again. They're, they're people that are, have faith in you, but their life isn't producing any fruit. They're crying out to you, God, God, attach me, attach me again to the trellis that my life might produce. It might produce good fruit. And there's others that are in this room today that feel like, man, my life is being lived. It's being lived for Christ all out. May we welcome with joy your pruning. May we welcome with joy your discipline, that you would have your way in us, that your kingdom would advance in our lives. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to be people that are willing to live dead to this world so that we can live alive in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.